that's it. So with with him being recast, is yeah. the other cast members the same? I mean, was it always Eddie Murphy, Cameron Diaz, and John? Yeah. Yeah. It was always Eddie Murphy. Um, the scene where where uh, Shrek and Donkey are walking, and they're talking about ogres. Ogres are like onions. Yeah. What? He says, not, not waffle. He says, you know, no, they have layers. You know, that's like one of the oldest scenes. That was like written six years I think, before the movie came out, and 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 all the changes and all the, the fixes and and revisions they went through. That scene stayed. It always stayed all the way through. Which was nice, you know. Um, with with Lord Farquhar, um, he was originally. I, I, I think they they were looking at a few people. They were looking at William Shatner. They were looking at a few other actors and all to, uh, about it. And uh, they, you know, they went up with the with I think John Lithgow did the voice. Yeah, John Lithgow. But what's funny is that is that uh, I actually named Lord Farquhar. Yeah. Yeah, 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 Farquhar. Because his original uh, in the first draft script, his name was Evil Lord Hamilton. And I was like, well, that's nice, but Hamilton's not funny. Yeah. You know, it's a nice name, but it's not funny. And I actually had a grad student in, in my class in college uh, uh, named Mark Farquhar. And, and, and I said, Farquhar is funny. <laughs> Farquhar is a good name. <laughs> and, and actually, you know, Mark really loves it and everything. He's, he's a professor now himself, and he answers his phone like, you know, evil Lord Farquhar. <laughs> Quick question, ladies and gentlemen. What's the most precious resource in the world? It's your time. So why would you spend it on the news? The Donut is a news brand, and they think the news absolutely sucks. It's boring, dry, and negative. So negative. It's near impossible to read and not think humanity's doomed. That's where the Donut comes in. They turn this time-consuming, anxiety-ridden chore into a quick, guilty pleasure that ensures you'll never be the boring one in a conversation. Their goal is to make the news quick, engaging, and easy to understand. And did I mention, it's all 100% free. They set out to design a better, faster, more fun way to stay up to date on the world's happenings. One that makes you feel smarter, happier, and more hopeful about the future. It's fast, fun, and 100% free. Subscribe today at thedonut.co slash cartoon. That's the donut, T-H-E-D-O-N-U-T. Co. Hey guys, it's your host Julian. This week I sit down with Disney and DreamWorks animator Tom Cito. We chat the very early days of Shrek and Chris Farley's involvement, and some great SNL stories are peppered in there as well. We talk about Mike Myers taking over for Shrek after Chris's untimely death and making the role of Shrek his own. And we talk Tom creating the donkey and dragon entanglement, and so much more. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the What's in My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian. And today, I'm joined by returning guest, Mr. Tom Cito. Tom, how are you, sir? Very good. Thank you. And thanks, man. Thanks for doing this. And uh, like I said, this is the second time we've uh, thrown up an episode like this. And we let the fans choose. And the fans had an overwhelming uh, turnout for the movie. <laughs> Rick. And just to put something into perspective for a little while, we got to take a trip back in time to 2001. What was going on in 2001? This movie, right? So what was happening in 2001, Tom? Around this time when it drops, 
May 18th is the date. We just passed the uh, 21 year, re, uh, 21 year anniversary, not too long ago. Uh, this is six months before September 11th and everybody's lives changes forever. This is also probably five, six months before we get our first Harry Potter movie, right? So we're in a world where we've still got the Twin Towers, that tragedy doesn't happen, and we have not seen the live action version of Harry Potter. Obviously, there's a lot of other crazy shit that went on during that time, but this movie blows it out of the gate right off the bat, man. We make, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is the first time I've ever really wrote notes down for any of this stuff, and I'm reading off, so I apologize for looking down. $42.4 million opening weekend, and it grossed $487,853,320 worldwide, man. Uh, so let's take it back, and we'll do as much Shrek talk as we can, but where were you when you start hearing that DreamWorks is doing this movie named Shrek, and then how do you come on board for it? Well, um, I was actually like one of the first people, which uh, uh, one of the first people to start DreamWorks. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when it was still just an idea, uh, I was over at Disney and um, I was um, head of story on Pocahontas and I was directing a sequence of um, uh, uh, the Fantasia sequel, you know, Fantasia continued, Fantasia 2000, mm -hmm. Fantasia, whatever, <laughs> 2.0, whatever you want to call it. And um, Anyway, right at that time and everything, uh, my contract was up at Disney, and I got a really nice offer to go to, to, to go to DreamWorks, you know, and and I thought, you know, I'd been at Disney about eight years, I'd done a lot of films, and uh, I just felt like, you know, I felt like a change, like doing something else, you know, moving on, and, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed working with Spielberg and with, uh, with Jeffrey Katzenberg, and thought, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing that, you know, when you get to the end of your career, uh, like one of my mottos is, is, is when you retire, you want to retire with as few regrets as possible. Yeah. You don't want to sit there and go, yeah, you know, hmm. so I was thinking if I don't do this, it's going to bother me. <laughs> you know? I thought I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> was it Napoleon said the secret of success is never hesitate, you know, and, and, and I do, it's, it's funny. Cause I do, um, I do remember, uh, you know, when I came out of college, uh, I had a bunch of friends. We were all in the um, animation people. And of all my friends in animation, there was one friend who, instead of trying to get work in animation, uh, got a really nice offer working on a newspaper doing, um, you know, those kind of flyers that you get in your mailbox and you mm -hmm. look at them and throw them away yeah. right away. You know? <laughs> so, but it was steady and it was in his neighborhood and stuff. And he was very happy. So anyway. So the rest of us, you know, I went on to work at Disney's and all of my other friends um, got Emmy Awards for, you know, things they done, Scooby-Doo, The Simpsons, all that stuff. So they all had like really good careers and, you know, in, in the business. Um, we would get together like 30 years later for, for a reunion. And the guy who didn't do any, anything like that inevitably will look at me and go, I could have been you. I could have done what you did. But I'm happy. I'm happy. See, like, was he I'm trying to convince happy. you or was he trying to convince himself? I think so. Yeah. And that's what <laughs> I thought. OK, don't be him. <laughs> you know, if you can, you know, better go for it. Yeah. Then and always wonder. So, so so I went with DreamWorks and um, DreamWorks was trying a bunch of projects like they thought their big effort was going to be Prince of Egypt. Mm -hmm. Like they like like Spielberg wanted it to be an animated Ten Commandments that you're going to watch every year around 
Passover, you know, Easter time, whatever, the holidays, uh, you know, it'll be a perennial. And, and they spared no expense and they did everything they could to make that thing as, as big as possible. And it was okay, it did okay, you know. And then the other films that they were doing, um, like, you know, like Ants and um, some of the other ones, you know, they had up and down, you know, sort of success. You know, there was, a, there was some live action movies with George Clooney and, you know, Deep Impact and a few of those other films and, all, and they did okay. But, you know, um, when DreamWorks started, they were like, we're going to turn out Lion Kings. We're going to do Lion King yeah. after Lion King after Lion King, you know. And after a couple of years, it was like, okay, where is it, you know? Lion actually, King two and a half. Yeah, yeah. And actually Shrek was the, was the one, was mm -hmm. the one that just was the complete, no doubt, you know, you know, full on success, you know, that, that, made every, that did it. And, um, but at the time when we started working on it, you couldn't see that coming. You know, there was a, it, uh, it, it went through a lot of rewrites. It went through a lot of changes. I mean, I've got here the original, you know, if you've ever seen the book. Yeah. This is, you know, right, right, by William Steig. It's like, you know. It, Paper it, thin, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like a couple of pages. And it's a one note joke, you know, you know, it's mm -hmm. like the old Casper cartoon, Casper the Friendly Ghost. Eek, it's a ghost, you know. And Shrek is like, eek, he's ugly, he's an ogre. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, yes, I am an ugly ogre. I'm very happy about that. And that was the, that, that's the whole book. And you're like, okay, we've got to make a 90 minute movie out of this. <laughs> like, How do you do that? <laughs> so it went through many iterations and many directors and many, uh, you know, a lot of different screenwriters and stuff. And, uh, you know, and, and it's funny because sometimes you're just wandering through the, through the, um, the jungle wondering, you know, are we ever going to see daylight, you know, <laughs> and then it all comes together. And, 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 you know, and then after the film comes out, people who didn't work on it say, well, you know, that, that project probably, probably directed itself. It's, you know, of course, it's an obvious idea. And we're all like, huh. <laughs> it's fantastic, man. So we've heard the genesis and it's crazy to think that that thin of a book gets a 90 minute movie obviously you guys are taking liberties and you guys got to expand upon and build yeah. a universe and a world around it much yeah. like uh the iron giant you ever read the original book for that one i didn't read the original and everything but i know the story yes yeah, it's very know. thin just like that one very yeah. thin not a lot to go off of nothing really from the movie other than the giant and a couple maybe a couple sequences it's been a long time since i've read the book same concept very very it, you got the concept of the ogre you got the concept of the iron giant build the world around it right mm -hmm. so i've heard obviously it's not a rumor because i saw you post something a couple days ago when it just hit the 21st anniversary for shrek coming out that chris farley was actually supposed to be the voice before mike myers um and yeah. the many many uh, rewrites and iterations and different creative crews that came on to finally direct this movie um but i've never really searched that story out so do you know obviously you worked on it but do you know much about yeah. the initial concept with chris farley instead of mike myers do you know anything about that yeah 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 i, I mean in the earliest versions and all yeah chris was going to be shrek and really uh, shrek is designed he kind of looks like chris farley yes he, 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 you know really does he just he just doesn't have the the longer lock of hair or stuff that Chris had, but um, but uh, yeah, you, you know, um, and, you know, I, I work with Chris and was at a couple of recording sessions and all. Really nice guy. Really, mm -hmm. you know, if you remember the movie Tommy Boy, yes, 
that one that's chris all the time that's mm -hmm. that's that's really him you know he's not faking and uh, and which is nice you know plus i i feel really thin next to him so, <laughs> he's a big guy big oh yeah guy. i'm a big guy he's a big guy yeah but um but anyway um very very sweet and um and um he, you know he had some he had some great stories i mean actually it's interesting because this past um this past weekend when the Saturday night live season ended and a, and a bunch of people have left the show and all, I remember Chris telling me, like he said, he said, you know, you, you know, you can only do about six years on that show. Mm. He, a, and then you got to move on just because at the time, this is the schedule is exhausting. It was like mm. six day work weeks. And then, uh, you know, and, and, you know, climaxing in Saturday, which is like, you know, you get out of the, studio at one o'clock in the morning and you're buzzing and everything mm -hmm. and a lot of them used to go to a nightclub and party till dawn then you spend saturday you spend sunday in an absolute coma slowly coming back to life and then monday you got to start it all over again yeah. so it's really only one day off you know so um i mean since then lauren michaels has put in like longer breaks and given his crew an opportunity to kind of like you know uh, um make the schedule a little more a little more uh you know, reasonable, mm -hmm. but, but, it, but it's interesting when I watch folks like uh, Keenan Thompson and, uh, you, you know, and, and some of the other Cecily strong have been there for so many years. And it's like, wow. You, you know, I mean, I, of course, you know, the original crew, they were all on drugs, but uh, <laughs> that's, I mean, you didn't hear that from me. So I don't, I don't, I don't know them. So, so pretty but, sure. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's well-documented. Uh, since we're talking SNL for just a second, man, I know you said the last time uh, you only listen to podcasts that you're in, uh, but there's a really good podcast with Dana Carvey and David Spade called fly on the wall. Uh, yeah. yeah. Fly on the wall. And it's pretty much just all SNL stuff. And they go over how in depth and how rigorous and how strenuous that, that, schedule is and they were talking they wouldn't do anything until tuesday they wouldn't write anything until tuesday monday they meet the guest that's coming on to host tuesday mm -hmm. they do an all a legitimate all-nighter they don't start writing until seven eight o'clock at night they go and lock mm -hmm. themselves in a room and they're on typewriters back in the day so they're in typewriters wow. typing this shit out until three four five six o'clock in the morning they're sliding yeah. shit into people's desks or under people's doors and stuff like that so Hearing the schedule specifically just on the writing side alone, because David was a writer for a little while, and so was yeah. Dan. But it, it was it was crazy hearing that. I didn't mean to cut you off, man. But no, 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 not at all, not at all. Yeah. But but no, that's true. It's true. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was a good book too, um, done by a New York Times reporter called ba uh, Backstage of Saturday Night Live. Mm -hmm. That that it, he talked to a lot of the principals and all, a lot of the you know Dan Aykroyd and all the big folks, Chevy Chase and everything. So it's very interesting. It's very interesting because it is a cultural phenomenon, you know, that yeah. it's been around for so long. But but yeah, Chris was part of that group, and um, Chris was very funny too because I remember Chris could take material that that I didn't think was that funny and make you laugh anyway. Because mm. he he brought that Tommy Boy intensity, you know, you know, like like there was one scene, and I use this as an example of my class about about uh, you know how you interpret soundtrack and how you work with actors, and um, there was this one scene, uh, a, a proposed scene in, in an early version, where Shrek is at a peasants' fair, and 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 uh, these peasants are having this open air fair, and Shrek shows up, and they go, "Oh, Shrek is here. He's disgusting. He's going to ruin the whole party." You know, oh, I wish we, he'd go away. You know, so they're they're doing all these things to drop hints that he should go away. They're trying yeah. to push him. You know, you know, up, up, away from the fair. 
And at one point, Shrek figures it out. And he goes, hey, look. And the line is, hey, look, I don't need some little girl from Kansas and her little dog to drop a house on me to tell me that I'm not wanted. So, so that's the line. So when I storyboarded it, I played it more dryly like that. Like, look, I don't need a little girl from Kansas and her dog to drop a house on me. Anyway, Chris gets the line and goes to the microphone and goes, well, <laughs> I don't need a little girl from Kansas and her uh, little dog to drop a friggin' house on me to tell me I'm not wanted. <laughs> and this, he just cracks you up, you know, and you're like, okay, that's good. <laughs> Let's keep that one. <laughs> So with with him, did he sound anything like Mike Myers? Was there any, or did Mike Myers just do a completely different take on it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's it's like when Chris died and, and nobody expected him to overdose. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and you know, um, uh, you know, I was talking to Chris Rock later, and they were friends, and he goes, he goes, yeah, I never expected that to happen. You know, I I never saw that coming, uh, but. Um, but, uh, you know, Mike Myers was his friend and everything. So Mike stepped in and everything, you know, to, to help out. And he was originally just doing uh, a regular voice. And mm -hmm. then a couple of months into production, he decided I'm going to do the Scottish accent. I'm going to do the whole thing with a Scottish accent, which actually meant we had to go back and redo a lot of stuff <laughs> because, because the inflections are all different. You know, like with, with live action, you can kind of dub somebody's voice mm. to kind of like make it a little, you know, you know, like that joke, for, uh, like that commercial for Liberty Mutual where they, that the actor and they dub in his voice, you know. Yeah, at but, the end, yeah. Yeah, you can kind of get away with that. But in animation, it doesn't work as well because, because the, 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 the acting and the inflections and all are different. And you could tell when something's been dubbed in and go, okay, that's not the same. You know, I mean, this is opposed to Japanese anime, which is a lot of um, a lot of productions done in Asia. They do it with the idea that it's going to be redubbed. It's mm -hmm. going to be, uh, you know, like I did. a, uh, I directed a film once in Taipei that we directed it in Mand Mandarin. Then we redubbed it in Japanese and redubbed it in English. And, and, you know, and you just take it for granted that it's going to go into different languages, you know. But um, but for the American product, they want that. Uh, close match of the of the lip sync so, so so a lot of that stuff had to get redone do you know what the idea behind the scottish accent was that he chose or um no i'm not really sure i'm not really sure what he what what he was headed for i mean by then i moved on i was on another production yeah okay. i'd gone out to the, to the horsey picture to spirit you know you know doing that one but um but it, like I said, you know, there was a lot of staff turnaround because we were trying to really grab the idea of of what the what the film was going to be. Mm -hmm. you, you, you know, like Shrek had parents at one point and, and, and we stopped with that. And then and then, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, there was a uh, there was a long sequence of Fiona and the witch who puts the spell on her that turns her into an ogre mm -hmm. uh, that went away. Uh, you know, there was a whole bunch of those kind of things, you know. Um, one thing, one thing that's funny, uh, one more thing about Chris, about Chris Farley, and that was, um, Chris was very intense, you know, so he was very, very funny guy. And, and, um, he, he, there was one scene written where, where, um, where Shrek is talking to his parents 
and um, and you're supposed to have a bowl of of um, of nuts or raisins or something to chew on. And of course, being Shrek, they're bugs, you know. It, it, you know so you're supposed to take a handful of these things, like mom going out, you know, this kind of thing. And and anyway, uh, Chris said, you know, I can't really do this scene unless I really have a bag of something, you know, some M and M's or something like that to chew on while I'm doing the lines. And they go, yeah, okay. So they so they went out and got a, a bag of a peanut M and M's, but they're the kind of cinema bags, you know, they're not like a normal bag of candy. They're like those big ones, right? Yeah. In one hour, Chris went through three of those. Jeez. He's just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> and he's like, slow down, man, slow down. <laughs> but he was like that. Everything was like a hundred miles an hour, you know. You know so, yeah, th- this is, <clears throat> excuse me, this is actually the first podcast we've actually had uh, any Chris Farley talk. I'm a huge Chris Farley fan. The, the first movie my wife and I actually saw it together was Tommy Boy. Right, we watched Tommy wow. Boy, then Black Sheep. Wow. Uh, we were just, you know, we were hanging out over the weekend. You know, we had just started dating. So we were watching those two movies and we yeah. had watched some other stuff. So it was like a, an entire like Saturday Night Live alumni cast movie night type of thing. So between Black yeah. Sheep and Tommy Boy, uh, 51st Dates and um, oh shit, what was it? Mr. Deeds with Adam Sandler. So we just yeah. went through the whole gamut of the SNL alum. Uh, but did, getting did it back. Did you ever hear the story? I, I think it's in the backstage of Saturday Night Live about how he got hired at Saturday Night Live. Who, Chris? Uh, yeah, Chris. Yeah, yeah. I, I might have. Yeah, he showed up at, at Lauren Michaels' office and everything for an interview, and 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 he says, "I'm going to do. I'm going to do." He says, "So what do you do?" He goes, "Oh, oh I I do impressions." And they go, "What's your what's your? Well, show me an impression." He goes, "My first impression is I'm going to do a salad." <laughs> And he goes, what? And, and what he does is that he strips completely naked and sticks a leaf of iceberg lettuce in his ass and, and puts two pieces of tomato on, on his nipples. And Lauren goes, you're hired. <laughs> Man can see talent. What can we say, Tom? There you go. Yeah, you, you know, <laughs> and, and, and I'll say one thing, one thing also about working in film, particularly in comedies, is we have an old saying in the business, never argue with a laugh. <laughs> if you get a laugh, it works. <laughs> yeah, man. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Uh, it. So with with him being recast, is yeah. the other cast members the same? I mean, was it always Eddie Murphy, Cameron Diaz, and Jonathan? Yeah. Yeah. It was always Eddie Murphy. Um, the scene where, where uh, Shrek and Donkey are walking and they're talking about ogres. Ogres are like onions. Yeah. What? He says, don't you not waffle? He says, you know, no, they have layers, you know. That's like one of the oldest scenes. That was like written six years, I think, before the movie came out. And 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 all the changes and all the, the fixes and, and revisions it went through, that scene stayed. It always stayed all the way through, which was nice, you know. Um with with Lord Farquhar, um, he was originally, I I, I think they were they were looking at a few people. They were looking at William Shatner. They're looking at a few other actors and all to, uh, about it, and uh, they, you know, they went up with the with I think John Lithgow did the voice. Yeah, John Lithgow. But what's funny is that is that uh, I actually named Lord Farquhar. Yeah. Yeah, 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 Farquhar. Because his original, uh, uh, in the first draft script, his name was Evil Lord Hamilton, <laughs> and I was like, well, that's nice, but Hamilton's not funny. 
Yeah. You know, it's a nice name, but it's not funny. And I actually had a grad student in, in my class in college uh, uh, named Mark Farquhar. And, and, and I said, Farquhar is funny. <laughs> Farquhar is a good name. <laughs> and, and actually, you know, Mark really loves it and everything. He's, he's a professor now himself, and mm. he answers his phone like, you know, evil Lord Farquhar. <laughs> so, so he totally digs it you know but uh but that's the thing is you know in, in a lot of a lot of movies uh, sometimes somebody will say something or or throw something out and you'll go that's good yeah let's use that okay yeah. you know you know and, and i mean it's a good director that can recognize that and say you know that's an that's a good addition so when did you what year did uh you start with this with Shrek, because I know you said it was in six years worth of production. Ninety uh, five. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I think it was like around nineteen ninety six. Ninety six is yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. With, I think it was about a year, ninety six through ninety seven, maybe ninety eight. So. With that yeah, being, think, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Like it, it was about a year and a half, I think, on it. So. Now, with with how this movie is shot, obviously you guys aren't doing traditional animation anymore you're taking uh you know obviously around this time pixar is starting dreamworks is starting and we're starting to see that the new style of animation um <clears throat> you coming up uh in the classic and being classically trained as far as cell animation and you, know, you got movies like who framed roger rabbit little mermaid beauty and the beast pocahontas you know all of these movies that brought back uh traditional animation in the renaissance for disney um, what was it like transitioning from that original style, the old school style to the new style? Well, it, it, yeah, it was still, it was still very much in transition at that point. Mm -hmm. um, uh, um, you know, the, you know, the whole thing about, about Disney and DreamWorks, you know, having a rivalry, uh, uh because of Eisner and Katzenberg, you, yeah. you, you know, originally, um, the, 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 um, which good when when Disney had the relationship with with Pixar, uh, uh, which good, DreamWorks was looking around for like you know you know we we got to get a three D unit, mm -hmm. and they you know and they started to put, to put one together, but you know it wasn't as easy as just going oh let's just go out and hire a bunch of three D yeah. people because it's it's, it's a new technology still so new. There was a company up in the Bay Area uh, uh, called Pacific Data Images PDI. And, and, and PDI was like a sister company to, uh, to Pixar for a long time. They were using the, uh, you know, the, a lot of the artists, you know, um, went back and forth between the two and they, they had a nice relationship, you know, you know competitive stuff. Uh, um, Pacific Data Images did a lot of stuff on um, the, the, the second Terminator movie mm -hmm. and um, did a lot of visual effects work. Uh, they uh, did a film called Locomotion, which, which kind of, uh, worked on the idea of morphing and all but um but uh, uh so uh so uh dreamworks actually acquired uh, uh actually uh, acquired uh, um uh, uh pacific dynamics and, and and while disney uh while disney and and pixar um set up the system of of separate administrations so there's like disney there's in Burbank in Southern California and Pixar's in Northern California and they have their own management team and their own staff and all. Um, DreamWorks decided to basically, uh, 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 you know, digest PDI. They basically like bought them and mm -hmm. then and, and it became DreamWorks North eventually. But, but you know, they were a very successful, you know, uh, 3D company. Uh, 
Uh, early on too with Shrek, uh, uh, originally they were pushing this idea of a, um, pushing this idea of, of uh, uh, real-time motion capture. So like, it's like the, there was a couple of guys who had this technique that they, they'd worked out. And remember all this software was still very new at, yeah. at this time. And the, and the software was, um, was uh, you know, was basically, you would have an actor and, and, and uh, in the mocap outfit, and then everything he did would, you know, would turn into real-time animation. Mm-hmm. And they were thinking like this, like it's a much easier to do now than it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago, 25 years ago. But uh, so this first technique, they, they, they had this thing to do Shrek. But, but the problem was when you actually saw the footage, uh, it, it it had a an air of, of of unreality to it you know like shrek looked like hr puff and stuff you know it's like it's, it's obviously a man in a suit like it's a man in a fat suit you know it's wiggling around and everything like that and and, and you know and then just just a, a, as a as a balance they put somebody next to it that had a uh, that did uh, that they did normal keyframe animation to, to do uh, uh, and and the keyframe stuff looks so much better than than the real time mocap. So they were like, okay, so we're gonna throw that technique out. You know, let's let's punt on that one and let's stick with the keyframe stuff. So and so I like I told you the the first talk we had. I'm very new and I'm still every day. You're not learning. You're dying, right, man? So you got to learn every day. So keyframe animation. Uh, Obviously, you teach this for a living, so I'm not asking you to do what you do for a living and teach me keyframe animation in the short time we have. But uh, like footnotes, man, what is keyframe animation? Okay, okay. So keyframe animation is, you know, the way you d- design human movement. Mm-hmm. It's like let's say I'm going to do somebody throwing a baseball pitch. So, so, so it's like I do this, this key, this pose, this pose. This okay, pose. got you. So that's key, key, key. Like, like that so the beginning and the end of an action so the way an action so so if i'm hitting a hammer or something it's like one two gotcha you know like that so that's three keys and then and you know and then and then you know you put in the in-between motion so that you so so that so that it fleshes out the movement you know how fast it's going to move and everything because something can move very rapidly something can move very slowly so now is Keyframe animators, is that generally the more experienced or veteran animators? And then, because I know you said in between, they do all of the, obviously yeah. the motion and the ocean of, the, you know, all the range of the motion, excuse me. Um, but is the keyframe, is that generally a more experienced veteran animator on that team or? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's usually the senior people. The, the, that's like the Frank and Ollie's and, you know, the, gotcha. the you know, the, the top guys, the Glenn Keens and stuff. Those are the, those are the keyframe guys. And then, and then, and then you have assistants and you have people to, to clean up your stuff, to make sure that the character always has the same three buttons and always has the same, the hair goes to one side or whatever. And then you have in-betweeners who put in all the in-between drawings and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the, that's the traditional way of doing it you know and and even when things went to digital there still is that that to a certain extent so you still had to have people assisting you and everything so so this way the animator could just focus on the acting you know what making the acting work you know like i always say you know the thing about when people say well what's the big deal if it's if it's already moving and i go well take take uh hamlet you know 
if you take the play Hamlet, you know what Hamlet says, and you know what he does, and you know what happens to him. Yet, if you took five actors and tell them to do five, uh, Hamlet, you're going to get five different Hamlets. Yeah. And like, why is that different? And go, it's the performance. So, so the performance is where, you know, that's where the keyframe animating comes in. Yeah. Um, I have to interrupt for a second. Can we stop just because yeah. I'm getting a lot, I'm getting a, a, a message. And we're back, man. We're talking Shrek. So with, you told us the story about Chris Farley and uh, getting to see him be Shrek, you know, for at least a little while. Did you ever get to see Eddie be Donkey? Uh, I didn't, no, I didn't see Eddie when he came in and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's funny, yeah, because his performance has been the most consistent. Yeah. And, and you know, it, you know, it's like very successful for him. And, and it's funny, you know, because while he was doing these, he was doing a lot of live action movies, but, uh, you know, things like the vampire in Brooklyn and you know, the Golden child and stuff, and they never quite hit the way Shrek does, you know, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't think about that, that it would, it would be that big a deal. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think, I think Shrek's been very good to him, you know, like he got a lot, they got a lot of, and, and, and his character is funny. I mean, the whole donkey character is a very funny character. He really is, man. I think he uh, he he brought back waffles, man. If, if I've known anything <laughs> from that movie, he made waffles trend. I'm a waffle guy. I always say it, man. I say I'm a food guy. So you got pancakes, you got waffles. Waffles yeah. are the grown-up brother that has made something of his life. The pancakes <laughs> are the slackers that are still living at home with their mom. The only reason I say this is because waffles have butter pockets. You put butter on pancakes, it's sliding right off, right? So you want butter pockets, go for the waffles, ladies and gentlemen. Um but uh, what was some of the hardest things that you did as far as obviously you had so many uh, director changes and creative team changes throughout the process of making the movie and getting it to where when it releases, you know, May 18th, 2001, right? So you have all these yeah. changes. So what was the hardest part specifically for you during the making of this movie? Um, I would say I would say the hard part for us was 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 just basically, uh, you know, uh, finding a good solid through line, mm. uh, you know, you know, really sort of like to find the find the, the plot, like find the character. And this happens a lot in animated features where, uh, you know, like take the movie Frozen. Frozen was in was in development for years, you know, it was a, almost 20 years. And and that's not to say 20 years constantly, but it's like they would do a treatment, they look at it, you know, maybe storyboard some of it and go, eh. yeah. you, you know, and then and, and then put it on the show. Let's try it. So Frozen was originally in the Snow Queen. And um and, and, and the, the director of Lion King worked on it. Uh, Brad Bird didn't pass on it. Um, there was a number of top directors that that took a stab at making something out of that, and it just didn't it just didn't gel. You know, for some reason, because if you read the original, if you read the original, um, uh, you know, story of the Snow Queen, they're not sisters. Uh, the Snow Queen's just evil. She's just mm -hmm. like you know, it's just like your classic, you know, wit. What is she and, like, uh, Tom? What was she like? Yeah, <laughs> like that, you know, the the bad guy, you know, the basic basically, and um, you know, that's a that's a hard thing too, you know, you know, you know, because when you're doing story, is that uh, when you're trying to define these characters, because like we always say, you know, bad guys um, never think they're being bad; they yeah. think they're doing the right idea, 
you know, if you, if, if you read the memoirs of famous Nazis, you know, like Joseph Goebbels like left a thick um, book of, of reminiscence. Mm-hmm. And you read his, you actually read his, his writing. He sounds like a nice guy. Yeah. You know, you know, he's just he's just doing horrible things, you know, but but, you know, you know, he takes the staff out for a beer after work and gives them a Christmas bonus and buys presents for his kids. And then he does horrible things. Yeah. So so when you're thinking of a villain, villains that are just like eh, evil, you know, it's kind of like eh, it's kind of dull. So you want to find an interesting spin on the uh, on the villain. And then the danger, of course, always is that sometimes you can make the, the villain so likable, you know, like Darth Vader or something. Like yes. everybody's like rooting for Darth Vader. Like, uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, that happens too, you know. Um, but but anyway, so so it's finding the character, you know. And, and and oh, he doesn't finish off the thing with Frozen. It's like once they came up with the idea that that Elsa and Anna are sisters, that's when they went, oh, okay, now we got something. Yeah, you know, and, and and in actuality, the the relationship, uh, uh, you know, like the like her boyfriend or something is a secondary. You know, it's really the sister relationship was the primary, you know, focus of uh, you know thread going through the story. Yeah. So that made it interesting. You know, so so it's the same thing. It's like you're trying to find something that's good. Uh, you know, like uh, how evil is the villain, and how mm-hmm. you know whatever. And, you know, and also, uh, and it, it took about a year and a half to start to get into this idea of making fun of fairy tales. Where, like, originally they were trying to do like a straight superhero, uh, a straight hero story. You know, mm-hmm. like, like a Game of Thrones type thing with an ogre and stuff like that. And it just was like, eh, it was just kind of like, you know, flat soda or something. Like it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't that interesting. And and once they started to play up the idea of of let's make fun of fairy tales. You know, like the like one of these story artists, a guy named Hank Mayo, came up with the idea of the gingerbread man on a pan going. Bite me, <laughs> eat me. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good line. You know, that's pretty funny, <laughs> you know. So finding that kind of stuff, then you're like, yeah, I like that. You know, that, that's pretty good. So 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 we started to say, you know, let's let's start to do that. Let's start to go in that direction. You know, and the other thing was like a lot of our upper management, like a lot of the the top guys at people at DreamWorks, were so focused on Prince of Egypt. That here we are doing this balls out comedy, like this, like really, like it's really just supposed to be a comedy. It's yeah. not supposed to be serious. And you know, and and the guys coming from, you know, you know, like dealing with God on Mount Sinai. <laughs> like, and then we do a fart joke, you know, and then this happens, you know. <laughs> so so it's a little hard to pull them back from the from, you know, from the from the Mount of Olives to like, okay, we're gonna do <laughs> we're gonna do we're gonna do silly jokes here, you know. So yeah. Yeah, I, like I said, man, I think I, I think I told you the story about the first time I watched it with my kid, and that was the first time I ever got called old. Was us watching Shrek <laughs> and me mimicking what what uh, what was going on through the movie, um, and then it's just like, man, you know this? Like, yeah, came out in two thousand one. Wow, you're old. I was like, what the? F-? I just it was a head trip for me, man. But uh, getting to experience this movie on multiple different occasions because this is a movie that you can sit there and pop in no matter when man it could be christmas time you know if you celebrate hanukkah hanukkah time thanksgiving time you know pick a holiday you could watch it on any holiday you can watch it on a random tuesday we're talking on a wednesday right now tom so who knows but uh what 
was yeah. that? And you, know, and, and you know, that that's a thing too, which is in a lot of these films, um, you have to make the decision of how topical you're going to be as opposed to how uh, timeless. Mm. Like the, in the Walt Disney Company, Walt Disney worked really hard to make sure that his movies didn't date. But they're like, you know, you can watch Snow White right now and enjoy it just as much as someone in 1937 mm -hmm. was watching. Pinocchio's like 1941, you know, 1940, actually. And, um, but yet, you know, Warner Brothers went the other way. They did lots of topical humor. They did lots of jokes about top 40 songs and phrases and buzzwords and, and popular cliches of the time period. And a lot of that stuff dates, but I mean, I still enjoy it, you know, yeah. you know, even though I'm still getting the jokes, you know, like, like there's, there's an old Yosemite Sam, um, the original Yosemite Sam, where Bugs is being chased through a train by Yosemite Sam, and and and, and Bugs runs into this boxcar and locks the door, and Yosemite Sam's banging on the door. He's going, "Open the door, rabbit! Open the door! I say, open the door!" And he looks at the audience and goes, "You notice I didn't say Richard?" <laughs> I'm like, "What does call that mean?" I don't know what it means, you, you know, and anyway, I've watched this cartoon like 80 times. I've seen it so many times over the years. One day I was I was driving through Pasadena and I had the radio on and they had a program on the weekends called the old time radio show where they played classic recordings of classic radio programs from the 1930s and 40s. And they said, we're going to play a, a hit song uh, by Louis Jordan and the, and the modern airs from 1940 called Open the Door, Richard. And it's like, I finally get that joke. I've seen this thing so many times and I've never gotten this joke until now. <laughs> I just thought he was calling him a dick because Richard was another name for a dick. So that's why yeah. I laughed. I thought it was the dick joke. <laughs> yeah, no, this actually was a particular is a particular song reference, you know. So so yes, so there's that kind of thing. And and Shrek actually manages to be not to be um, um, uh, topical. You know, we actually, uh, another one is like, you know, in Aladdin, when, um, uh, you know, Robin Williams was riffing so many characters, you know, as the genie, he did Ed Sullivan, he did William F. Buckley, he did Arsenio Hall, he did Jack Nicholson, and, and um, uh, uh, it was Marie Chevalier, I think. And, you know, and I was sitting there going, does anybody under 60 know who Ed Sullivan is? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, he was like he, he was like a, a a variety show host in the 1960s. You know, he introduced the Beatles, and and uh, he was funny because he was so square. He was such a a dour guy, you know, right here on our show, you know. But anyway, whenever they ran it for an audience, the children just laughed anyway. Yeah. They just said he's turning into a funny man. Uh, I, I don't get it, you know. And and the adults go, oh yeah, it's it's all the the weird ones. The one that dated the the most was um, was Arsenio Hall. Because Arsenio Hall was doing this um, thing he did in his talk in his show, where he used to go ho 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 like that, and, and everybody would do that, you know. And that's out of fashion now. So so it's like everybody's like, what, what's he doing? Oh, it's some kind of thing from the nineteen nineties. I don't know what it is, you know. So so it, it, it come back. Yeah, it could you know it, it could always. You never know, you know. So so you try to so you try to. Um, walk that plank between between being topical uh, but not dating you, you know because like in a year or two not, you know will anybody remember mm -hmm. don't know when was the last time you watched shrek oh my goodness oh i haven't seen it in a while <laughs> i'm very curious yeah because i know the technology's changed a lot 
you know the 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 um the cinematography is in the newer movies is much better now than the original film and all you, you know they're doing a lot more with light and shade and stuff you know uh, at dreamworks we actually like brought in some serious cinematographers uh you know we brought in roger deakins who's an academy award-winning cinematographer to kind of help us with the look of the film it, 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 you know because in the beginning uh, everything was very um very simple you know grass is green the sky is blue <laughs> you know yeah. trees are brown you know like that, that kind of thing and then you're like no let's try and get some real lighting in here let's try and make this interesting you know so so it's the uh, you know uh, it'd be fun to see the first trick and, and and i know that the the human beings were always like a little uh they kind of look like the, those sort of bendies you used to get in the in the in the <laughs> you know, uh, you know, in a, in a uh, you know, target or something, you know, simple, simple characters, you know, they're a lot better now than they were back then. I, I, uh, I just went, uh, went back whenever I have somebody on, we're doing something uh, that I really want to talk about. I make sure I go back and rewatch it or re-listen to mm -hmm. it. Just do something where I can refresh my mind mm -hmm. and going back there, looking at that movie, probably hadn't seen it in maybe two years or so, <clears throat> but I'm watching it. And then it's funny that I start picking out stuff that I didn't see prior. I'm like, oh shit, I didn't get that reference when they were making fun of that. Like I started looking in the backgrounds now and I don't know what it is. I've had this talk like four or five times. I, I, I bring up backgrounds so much as of late, but I'm looking in the backgrounds to see like, did somebody sneak something in? Did somebody hide something? Did somebody pass something off? Like what is somebody sneaking in the background or what are they doing in the background? Because your eyes aren't really drawn to the background most of the time. It's supposed to be to that one character, that group of characters that are on there. They're driving the story. I just happened to keep looking in the background and then seeing all of the food puns that they were doing for like Taco Bell, Burger King, all that different stuff that they're putting in there and they're putting their little fairy tale spin on it. Um, yeah. Like I said, this movie holds up 21 years, yeah, 21 years after the release, man. It's a fun movie. Anybody can watch it from kids to adults to, you know, anybody, right? Um, yeah. Looking back now, obviously you said you haven't seen it in a little while, but you got a favorite part in this movie? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I uh, which um, I designed. Uh, I'm the person who created the relationship between the donkey and the dragon. Really? Uh, that they fall in love. Yeah, yeah. Where'd you yeah. get that idea from? And, uh, um, but believe it or not, it's 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 funny, you know, because the original sequence was was designed like the battle in the castle when they're chasing when the dragon and, and and Shrek and donkey are chasing each other around the castle. That was designed by a fellow named David Lowry, mm -hmm. and David is a is one of the best storyboard artists in the business. Uh, he, he he originally he originally did the kitchen sequence at Jurassic Park when they're rafters. Really? chasing the kids in the kitchen. Yeah, he's one of Spielberg's senior guys. And uh, uh, right now he's working on The Mandalorian. He's like the top, he's like one of the top guys on The Mandalorian. So it just draws like a son of a bitch. You know, I'm really, <laughs> really nice guy. And, um, but anyway, so Dave had done this whole thing. And, and, and in, the original, in the original script, the, the, the dragon corners the donkey and is going to kill him. And, and you know, the donkey can't get away. And Shrek pulls on his tail, and he run, and, and, and they turn around, and they fight someone. And I said, "Well, wait a minute, we've we've got Eddie Murphy, you, you know, and and um, um, uh, Beverly Hills Cop had just come out, which was like one of his like big hits and stuff. And I said, you know, the whole classic thing with Eddie Murphy's personality is if you corner him, he tries to talk his way out of it. Yes. So he should try to talk his way out of it. 
And uh, there was a movie uh, uh, that had come out a, a year or two ago by a, an Italian uh, German filmmaker named Lena Wertmuller called, called Seven Beauties. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Lena Wertmuller does these very um, dark comedies. It, it, you know, they're, they're funny in a macabre way, you know, and, and a lot of it is about male, um, Italian male sexuality and things like yeah. that. And uh, you know macho this and stuff, and, and, but but he he had she had this actor named Giancarlo Giannini, and he plays this character named Snapporazzo, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and and, uh, and and it's Snapporazzo has these adventures, and it's in like 1930s Italy, and um, anyway, this is this uh, to make a long story longer. There's, there's a scene where he's um, where Snapparazzo gets drafted into the army for World War II, and he deserts. And then he gets picked up, he gets arrested by the by the fascist authorities and, and, and given to the Germans who put him in a concentration camp. So, so, so it's concentration camp jokes. And, and, and anyway, so, so he's he's in this he's in this lineup of prisoners and and the commandant of the of, of the um, of the of the camp is this very butch, tough looking woman. Uh, uh, with a riding crop and boots and stuff. And she's stomping around looking at all these sad prisoners. And Snapparazzo realizes the only way I'm going to survive and not die is to flirt with the commandant, to try to seduce the commandant. This is Lena's idea of humor. <coughs> so don't blame me. But um, anyway, so so she's looking at all these prisoners. and then And then when she gets to... Snapparazzo, Snapparazzo is like. <laughs> you know, like he's he's flirting, he's making icon stuff. So I said, maybe the dragon gets corners the donkey, and the donkey, instead of running in fear, goes, Hey, I got pointy ears, and you got pointy ears, and I got a tail, and you got a tail. Yeah. You know. Like that, and, you know, and then then the the writers and the other story people said, "Hey, yeah, we could do this, and we could try this, and we could do, you know." And it's kind of like throwing a pebble in a pond, you know, creates ripples. Everybody's like, well, "Yeah, let's do this, let's do that, let's do this," and it actually wound up like becoming like a central theme in the story. Where like at the end, it's the dragon who you know eats Farquhar and 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 saves the day, you know, for 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 her boyfriend, the uh, you know. The, the the donkey so mm-hmm. so it's like how you take one idea and it just expands and, and and you go okay let's work with this let's let's take this you know so and and that's the fun of filmmaking it, it, it's like you know the story is just the script is just the beginning it, it, you know i'm sure if you bring a writer in here he'll say the script is everything <laughs> you know just like just like if you interview an editor they'll go the real movie's made in editing editing is worth it. so so i'm a story guy i'm like the real movie's made in story we're the guys that really make the movie uh, you know everybody else is okay so so i mean you're gonna hear that a lot you, yeah. you know you know but um but the fun part is being able to take input from from, from you know left field and go all right let's use that let's put that in you know you know I think I tell you that uh, the, uh, the last time, was I telling you those, those stories about the movie Gladiator, I really yes. Scott stuff? Okay, yes. oh, yeah, I won't go over that again. But I mean, that's an example. Really, it's a great one for like taking in, uh, stuff from, um, from uh, far afield, left of field mm-hmm. and going, okay, let's try and put the. And Shrek was like that, where you saw some stuff, you go, well, it's a good this is a good idea. Let's try this. And, you know, let's work with that. And then, because again, too, you know, uh, you know, the story was so. You know, it was so light, 
you know so yeah oh yeah i found a i found a drawing of of, of david from an early shrek this is, oh that's really cool that looks a lot more like chris farley too it does yeah yeah that was like a really early beginning uh, the whole thing so yeah it was a, it was a little, little gentler it wasn't as cranky so you know and 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 really you know because in the story and everything you know the donkey a lot of times has all the good lines <laughs> and everything and and then fiona has a lot of great lines and stuff so it and far and, and farley was almost i mean shrek was almost like a straight man mm -hmm. you know at one point but like the brunt of the jokes instead of making jokes himself but which is okay you know it still works out i would have loved to have seen what chris farley could have done with that movie i, I bet you it's uh obviously it'll be a night and day movie because mike myers and chris farley are you know so different folks yeah. you know right so different uh you know so it would have been interesting to see if we could have dr strange just had their multiverse of madness if we could get a multiverse of madness <laughs> and see what chris farley would have done now to love to see it yeah. um as we're winding down, man, we're going to hit roll into some fans questions. Thanks for doing this again. I really, I really had a blast getting to the low. Uh, a lot of the stories I've never heard and a lot of the stories I didn't want to go and research and, and look into before I talked to you because I wanted to hear it directly from somebody who was there because so many times I hear stories, <clears throat> second and third and fourth hand. Most of the time it's from people that weren't even in the same building or universe as these people for the most part. So it's cool, like I said, getting to hear what actually happened uh, while on the set. <clears throat> Looking back 21 years later, man, uh, where would you rank the Shrek experience in your career? Um, I would say I would say it was it, 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 it was pretty high. It was it, it was pretty good. And everything. I was proud of the stuff I did. You, you know, um, I think I, I didn't see the project through to the end because, uh, you know, like we went through a couple of executive changes and stuff. And, and, and one of the directors, you know, didn't like my input and everything mm -hmm. and, and, you know, wanted to go with another person. So I said, OK, so I went out to spirit and then and then he got replaced, too. So <laughs> it's like but that's you know, the phrase that's Hollywood. Yeah, you know that's that's you know until you're until you're on the receiving end of that you don't know what it means but then you're like oh okay <laughs> I I'm another so. number yeah yeah now I now I know what it means yeah you know yeah. So, I mean yeah just this shoots and ladders you go up and down up and down you know like that and then and then you know then after Spirit I went on to like direct a movie at Warner Brothers so you know it, it was it worked out that was Osmosis Jones yeah but, I like uh, that one too. Yeah, but you know, you 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 could go through these things, and um, and 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 it is interesting because, again, like I said, you know, the studio at the time in in, in 1997, really they had their eggs in one basket. Like they really thought that Prince of Egypt was going to be their Sunday punch. That was going to yeah. be the one that's really, and it did okay, you know, but but you know, but Shrek, Shrek was like gigantic, you know, monster. Yeah, you know, Shrek was the first movie uh, to win the new category of best animated feature. Really, like, like, like people don't know this, but at the time, Little Mermaid and um, uh, Iron Giant and uh, uh, Spirited, uh, you know, not even before Spirited Away, um, you know, Nausicaa, you know, all, all, there was no category for for animated feature. It was animated short, which is that you know that had been around since nineteen thirty two. Um, but but anything over 30 minutes is not a short mm -hmm. and everything. So so Pinocchio, Bambi, all those things, Little Mermaid uh, didn't qualify for anything. It, it, you know, they, they got it for the uh, for the uh, for the songs, uh, uh, you, you know, score and things like that. Yeah. But um, but Shrek, <laughs> the first best animated feature. 
I think it was like up against um, Jimmy Neutron and uh, I forgot the, what the Pixar one that year. Uh, might have been Monsters Inc. Monsters Inc. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, for that year. That's a so, that's a big year to come out though. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a surprise. Yeah, you know. So. Yeah, man. Like I said, what a time to be alive. Um, so we're rotating some fans' questions. Uh, there was one that I wanted to ask. Uh, I, I went back and specifically looked for this one. Um, so if I pronounce his name incorrectly, but uh, Sobiscuit underscore uh, wanted to know, any chance you work with Steve Sobiski? That's my dad. He did 3D animation and lighting for Shrek. Oh, uh, I don't think I don't think I work with him directly um, because, it, it, you know, the, the, the story department, we, we were in, we were in Glendale, you know, in, in Southern California mm -hmm. and 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 uh, the rest of the film was being done in Northern California, up in the Bay Area, you know, Redwood City yeah. is where, where, uh, where Pacific Down Images was. Or, or DreamWorks North, as they say, you know. Yeah. And, and also, so I think he's probably working up there. So. Okay. Uh, Frick Frick Boy wants to know, how does it feel to be a god? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. we, we got. Uh... Closed out on it. I didn't get this one's name because I took a uh, snapshot of it. But uh, how did the original Shrek script differ from when Chris Farley was still the voice of Shrek to the current version where Mike Myers is the voice of Shrek? Obviously, we talked about the many changes, but was there a distinct change that you could probably point to that that comes to mind? Um, I think I think it's that you know Mike, uh, you know, early on Myers was trying to do sort of like sort of like almost like a, a farley impersonation mm -hmm. and, and and you know you know you know farley was famous for for losing his temper over stuff always going like like you know no ogres i yeah. like onions i like onions it, yeah you know and that's like his that's his delivery you know that's funny and and, and after a while mike figured that you know I, I can't just impersonate him. I've got to find my own character here. And he really went and created his own character with the Scottish accent and all. And that was the one that, that he wound up going with, you know. And it's interesting that both he and Eddie Murphy just kind of, you know, lived on those Shreks and everything. You know, the, you didn't see that many live action movies, you know, he was doing. He was just doing Shrek 3, Shrek 4, Shrek 5, you know. And, and uh, it's fine. You know, like we were talking earlier, we were talking about The Simpsons a little bit. And is, you know when you have a when you have a success let's ride it out you know like yeah. you hate to you hate to just like walk away from something that's, that's working really well absolutely um oh yeah um, yeah i mean I, I, I mean have you ever seen movies where you, you're like i want to see more with these characters you know yes, it, it, all the time I, yeah i felt that way i think the the one that was with me was the 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 uh the peter weir movie master and commander Mm -hmm. with, with Russell Crowe as the uh, the Sikh British captain, you know, and the, the with the fighting ship from the Napoleonic Wars. When that movie was over, it's like I want them to keep going. I, yeah. I want to see more stuff with those guys, <laughs> you know. And they never made a sequel, and you know. And of course, well, the famous one for me is Who Framed Roger Rabbit. You know, mm -hmm. it's like everybody wanted a Roger Rabbit sequel, but it's like for one reason or another, it never it never happened. I heard something not too long ago. I can't remember what podcast it was on. It was um, a newer animation podcast. And 
I might just be conflating this with something else, but I want to say I heard a story on there or I read it somewhere um, where they were going to be jumping forward ahead. It was World War II era and there were Nazis involved as far as like Roger had to fight back the Nazis. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the versions and everything. Like, um, like Roger Rabbit takes place in 1947, mm-hmm. which is after after uh, uh, World War II, about two years after World War II. And the the sequel they were talking about was going to be a prequel. They were going to go to like 1939 or 1940. So, so, so how Roger met Jessica. Yeah, was uh, that was going to be the one of them. And uh, one of the guy, people working on it was a guy named Joe Ramph. And Joe was like a lead story artist at Pixar. It was like one of the best of the story artists in the business and everything. Very, uh, very intelligent man. Very good. And uh, he, he tragically died in a car accident in 2005, yeah. which is a shame, you know, because he had a lot more to I think he had a lot more stories to tell, you know, mm-hmm. and, and uh, but but he was working a part on that. And yeah, the problem always with Roger was that Roger was owned right down the middle between Amblin, Spielberg's Amblin and and, and Disney, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and you, you couldn't do anything with the character without the both of them agreeing. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of like asking, you know, Blackbeard and Captain Kidd to get along on a job. You know, it's like after after one successful job, that's fine. But then another one, you're like, you know, and 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 um, they just couldn't really kind of work it out, you know, fortunately. And then and, and at the same time, Robert Zemeckis uh, uh, at the time didn't want to make sequels. Mm-hmm. Like he said, he, he himself, because he had done Back to the Future and he had done Romancing the Stone. And then he was doing Forrest Gump. And he was like, I don't want to spend the next 10 years, the second 10 years of my career making sequels to the first 10 years of movies. You know, so, 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 you know, he talks about a sequel, but then, uh, then after Bob Hoskins died, you're like, it's not, it won't be the same. Yeah, it really wouldn't. It'd be like the same thing with the Harry Potter movies I alluded to earlier. It's very, very difficult. I don't know. I wouldn't even want to think about stepping into the shoes of whoever had to do a prequel, Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Yeah. I I try, 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 try to think of something other than this, but he was a real motherfucker when it came to that role, man. He crushed that. Like, that is my favorite character in both the movies and the books because of the portrayal from Alan Rickman. I mean, it, he transcended that screen from watching that and then going like any time. I, I don't know if we had this talk doing these podcasts, you kind of confuse or misremember who you might have had to talk with or what you might have had to talk about. But uh, did we talk um, Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy from Batman, the animated series at all? Our last no, time? Not really. No. <clears throat> So whenever I read comics, I go into my comics every Wednesday. Whenever there's a Batman comic, the voice I hear when I'm reading those comics is Kevin Conroy. The voice I hear is the Joker whenever the Joker pops pops up is Mark Hamill because of Batman, the animated series, right? So it's the same concept, right? So you've got these voices that you hear. Um, So whenever I see or read something that's got Snape in there, I instantly think of Alan Rickman's cadence, his talk, his voice, everything. So like I said, he just, he popped off the screen and made that my favorite character in the books. Um, so it's, it's always great when you can see an actor that, that, that does that. And Bob Hoskins would, could never be, in my opinion, he could never be replaced. So yeah. it's like, he can never make a good sequel to Galaxy Quest, you know? Oh, it's such a good one too. Right, because Alan Rickman yeah. doing doing the, the the Leonard Nimoy character and Tim Allen and, and Sigourney Weaver, they're so funny all together. Yes, they're they all, were. All, 
working on that film and it's like it just it wouldn't be the same you know you know so that's such a that's such a fun movie too i love galaxy quest man yeah yeah um but yeah so it's it's like i said it's it's always interesting uh so blue oh man ax axolot 64 wants to know i hope i'm pretty sure i butchered that one why did you why did you over sexualize shrek tom me <laughs> I didn't do anything <laughs> he's a sexy guy hey man well, he you know, us, us, us heavy set people you know have a natural you know male energy that uh... <laughs> i think they call it dad bods tom there you go. That's it. That's it. Like, got to think for man breasts, you know. Like, oh. <laughs> uh, uh, query boy or query underscore boy wants to know. Uh, did it turn out the way you wanted it to? If not, what would you have changed that would have made Shrek a significantly different movie? So, watching what you watch, man, do you think it turned out the way it should have? Uh yeah yeah i think yeah. so I, I think so it, 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 you know like whenever you do one of these kind of films you have to decide how much is is accurate and how much is farce and 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 even when you're making fun of stuff you know like somebody like you know terry gillum uh, you know in his movies like if you look at his you know things like um uh, you know life of brian and and uh, a holy grail monty python and monty python jabberwocky you know gillum actually is really into history mm-hmm. and 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 historic his historical scenes actually look a lot more realistic than a lot of serious movies you know yeah. and and so so with the same thing with shrek you have to decide how medieval you're going to make it like how how much you're going to do the middle ages and then how modern farce is it going to be how much it's going to be a broad farce mm-hmm. and you know remember, you know we do in a comedy and everything you know you know um um katzenberg our producer once in a while when i'd be arguing about stuff he'd look at me and he goes are you giving me the h word <laughs> like i don't want to hear that you know <laughs> like don't bother me with accuracy you know <laughs> So, and, you know, I can, I, I can respect that, you know, cause it is like people, people aren't coming to the theater for history lesson, you know, and, and they want to be entertained. They want to have fun, you know, um, a thing like game of Thrones, which was not a comedy, uh, uh you know, had a lot of historical elements in it mm-hmm. that, you know, as a historian, I could see, I could see the, the war of the roses and I could see a number of things, you know, the, you, you know, you know, the, the ancient Byzantines had, uh, had a secret weapon called Greek fire, which kind of looks like that green flame mm-hmm. that they were throwing around, you know, that, so there's historical precedent for a lot of things that's in there, but you still enjoy the show. There's still, it's a good program. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, you look at, uh, uh, again, too, like, um, when you think like, well, how much of it do I want to make it into a, uh, uh, you know, how broad do I want to go with the comedy? And, and I think, I think at a certain point, you had to do that. Um, one thing, one thing our producer used to say was he was he used to say the love affair uh, between Shrek and Fiona is like the Christmas tree. And the lights and the and the jokes are the lights and the balls and things like that. So things that once we get the tree standing and we get that we get the love relationship working, then you can put all the funny stuff on it, all the yeah. crazy. Things. 
gags and all. You know, and then because he says, I know you guys. Once I let you guys start to put gags in, you're going to go to town. You're going to fill it up with gags. <laughs> so, 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 but I got to get, and, you know, and, and actually that kind of worked through Little Mermaid and through Aladdin. You know, mm-hmm. he, he was always focused on, on the love story, like make the love story work. And then we'll put all the jokes in, you know, yeah. all the crazy. And, and, and that, that seems to work because it is that, that you do, you know, if when it's just like mindless chaos from beginning to end, you, you know, it's, it's not as satisfying as when you do have a good story. You do want to know that the, you know, the, the, the lovers are going to get together at the end and they're going to be happy or whatever, you know, and then you can probably stick, you know, you know, all around it. So. I didn't ask you this question, the last one, but if, if you could go back and work on any of the Disney movies that you worked on, would Little Mermaid be the one you go back to and work on it again? Uh, or was there another one that you liked a little bit more? I, I, I liked Roger Rabbit. And yeah. I, think, I think Roger was a fun character. And he just, he was so much fun to do stuff with. And, and it was so much fun to, to work, work in classic characters, you know, mm-hmm. put in older characters like Goofy and uh, Bugs Bunny and, you know, things like that, you know. And, you know, as an artist doing, doing uh, you know, drawing the characters, when you work with, a, with a, a, a sophisticated design that's been worked out by master artists, it's kind of like you're a, you're, you're a car park attendant and you get a Porsche, you know. You just like, it just handles well, you know. <laughs> you know this just feels good, <laughs> you know. And, and, and a good design is like that. When you're working with it, like, yeah. <laughs> Did you ever work with Sandro Cluzo? Yeah, yeah, I know Sandro. So I had him on a couple weeks ago and he was talking about uh, Joe Mosier, the character designer for um, Emperor's New Groove. And yeah. he was saying uh, that he would take him the drawings, right? And he would say, hey, can you go over my drawings? And he was like, no, it's really good. It's really good. And he was like, no, no, go over them, go over them. He was like, he would, he was like, I would force him to go over my drawings and just see where I could get better. And he would, he said the same thing you said. He was like, when you're working with somebody that's got characters dialed in, he was like, it's like slipping into a perfectly fit glove, right? I'm paraphrasing at this point, but he was like, everything is there. And he was like, when it's done right, it's your job makes it so much easier because everything's flushed out. Everything is perfect. He was like, it was just really cool having him go over that. So it's, it's really cool to hear in two weeks time that there's another person that's saying the same thing, you know, about other, 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 other uh, projects that they've worked on. So there's a real specific discipline to being an animation artist. That's a little different from being another, uh, other types of cartoonist or illustrator. And that is when you're a cartoonist or illustrator on your own, you're kind of encouraged to develop a personal style and to find the personal, you know, take on things, you know, and, and, and with animation, it's like you're in a, it's a group effort. Like there's no lone wolves in animation. You know, there's, there's, there's always like a team of people and it can be anywhere from like five to 500 people who are all drawing, like it's supposed to be drawn by one hand, mm-hmm. you know? So, so there's a certain uh, professional discipline that goes into, I'm going to do this style, you know? Yeah. And, and, and after a while, it's, it's almost like learning a language. You know, you say, I'm going to learn Warner Brothers, you know, like, or I'm going to learn, um, you know, Simpsons, or, yeah. or I'm going to learn Disney, you know, and, and, and being able to fit into that language. And this is what I learned from Richard Williams, the, the British director, was that it's fun to, to, to take on a style and do it. 
mm. it, it, you know, so that the audience will recognize like, oh, that's obviously Tex Avery type stuff, yeah. you know, so, and, and, and the, it's a creative challenge as, you know, uh, as well. It, yeah, like I said, man, it's, it's just, it's cool to see, it's cool to see you guys get nerdy about something that you're, <laughs> so like, like with me, when I, I cook for a living, uh, we've had this talk before, because we talked to your cookbook the last time you were on, um, but uh, when I get to go over and I get to see my chef working, it's just like, you're sitting there and you're just, you're mesmerized, right? You're like, wow, he's yeah. doing it. He's like, he's fucking cooking. And that's like all you can think of. And you can't, you can't articulate it anymore. He's like, he's cooking really good right now. And you're just like, oh shit. You just see somebody that's, that's slipped into it. That's, that's had that 10,000 hours of practice. That's yeah. been in those wars. That's been in those, those things where they're trying to dig themselves out, whether it's timelines for you guys or ticket times for us. Right. It's yeah. just crazy to see somebody at the height of their craft doing their craft it looks effortlessly and then you get in there and then you look like the fucking swedish chef from the sesame you know going all over the fucking place right man so it's it like i said it's just i, I like seeing that stuff i like once people get nerdy about what they do um it's, it, it, you know you don't like getting nerdy it's like yeah a particular thing with animation people is that there is a certain like a, um every every profession has its he heroes you know mm -hmm. Like if, like, like, you know, like other comedians, you know, like people who are full-time stand-up comics would go, Gary Shandling, wow, man, yeah. Gary Shandling is so good, you know, or, you know, stuntmen, Yakima Kanut, Yakima Kanut, nobody could fall off a horse like Yakima, <laughs> you know, he set up the, the chariot race in Ben-Hur, you know, I mean, that, that, that's, that was, he told, he told Charlton Heston, just get in the chariot and leave the rest to me. <laughs> you know, I like made it work. So every every profession has its heroes, has its, you know, like baseball players are always talking about old baseball players. Yes. It's all really good. So yeah, animators, we all sit around and go, Milk Call, yeah, Milk Call, Shere Khan and Jungle Book, you know, you know, Rod Scribner, one of the great Clampet animators, like very mm -hmm. loose, crazy stuff, great piggy bank robbery. You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hope I could do Scribner someday, you know, and, and, and they have a style and you're like, you know, I'd love to work in that kind of style, yeah. you know, and, and, um, and that's fun. It's, a, it, it's okay to have a professional, you know, professional heroes, you know, it's because, because you know that your, your work is going to be judged. Um, um, uh, it was Eric Larson, who was like one of the nine old men and is what it was a great teacher he used to tell of all of young young pups he'd say just remember your scenes are forever mm -hmm. which means years from now like you said it's like 20 years later somebody's going to put on the tv with their kids and they're going to watch your program you know yeah. they're going to see the same thing so that's why like you don't want to you don't want to crap it out because it's going to be it's going to be there forever and you know and 20 years from now you're going to go oh god <laughs> I wish I could get that back, you know, <laughs> fix that, you know, you know, but you can't, you know, like you have to do it, you know, so, so it's the same thing, you, you, um, you have sort of professional standards, you, you know, it may not always, but like the audience may not always get the, the, the extra effort you're putting into, but you know, that you've done your best yeah. and everything. And, and uh, you know, it's like the way actors a lot of times uh, prepare for a role by, uh, you know, like when, when Lawrence Fishburne was doing Matrix, you know, he took, a, he took a couple of months and just worked on martial arts, mm -hmm. you know, just getting good at it, you know? And it's like, nobody asked him to, but, but it's part of the, it's preparing for the role. And, 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 and animators, like we see the same thing, which is just like, you know, learn, the more we learn, then, then the more 
um, of a realistic thing we could we could bring to the character, you know. So, if you want to animate a um, fire-breathing dragon running down the street, you have to think about the run. You have to think about uh, what what the dragon move like uh, if he has wings. You know, how do the wings flap? How does the fire look? You know, does the fire look good? You know, and the more realism you could bring to that fire and those wings, the more realistic the effects, so that you believe that there's a real dragon running down the street. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's the professional sort of uh, discipline you 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 uh, sort of aspire to. So we'll uh, we'll wrap it up with these these last two. Um, I didn't ask you this one because I think I did it a couple weeks after uh, after you came on the first time. Uh, Mount Rushmore of animators. You got four plus one, right? So I've had so far on this, on this, I always say four animators, but I think I'm going to take away the animators and say just four inspirations because I've gotten, especially the last couple interviews I've done, I've had Van Halen on here, uh, John Sanford. Mm -hmm. He was a really cool dude to talk to as well. Another Disney guy. Uh, so he was pulling like all of these an illustrator, Charles Schultz, of course. Um, yeah. So if you want, you can do just four animators plus one for your honorable mention, or you can do four inspirations plus one. It doesn't have to be animators. So it's completely up to you. But if you had a Mount Rushmore of inspirations or animators, man, who would be your four plus one? Oh, okay, let's see. Well, well, I would say um, uh, 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 Bill Teitler, mm -hmm. you know, the devil on Bald Mountain. Uh, uh, Rod Scribner, who was a great uh, Clampett animator, is very, very funny. Uh, well, Richard Williams was my my, my mentor and, and everything. Um, uh, which, uh, I, you know, I love Glenn Keane's work. Glenn yeah. was great, you know. And then for the 50, yeah, I would say Charles Schultz too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting, you know, you, you know, because when I was first learning to cartoon, um, uh, 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 it was an old Disney guy who first told me, he said, if you want to understand uh, drawing emotions and stuff. Go look at Schultz. And I go, Schultz? And he goes, yeah. He says, other people will do happy guy, angry guy, you know, you know, crazy guy. Like this. He says, Schultz does complicated emotions like um, melancholy and vexation and ennui and does it with two dots and a line. <laughs> like he, he does these very complicated emotions and they read on the face just so simply and and actually if you go up to santa rosa you go to um the schultz museum and look at his stuff he works very he worked very hard on that like it didn't he didn't just like doodle it out um yeah. you can see that he fixed it and fixed it and fixed it and changed it and changed it until he got it exactly the way he wanted it to look and you know and and so he really uh labored on those things to make them look you know like i think gertrude stein said it takes it takes great effort to achieve simplicity mm -hmm. you know so it does look like it's simple and that's also where like you know schultz never let himself be ghosted like he never let other people draw his characters yeah and uh, you, you know i mean the animation is different but but in his own comic strip when when he was dying he closed the strip he just said i'm not going to have uh, somebody else do my characters after i'm gone i'm like okay <laughs> I gotta, res I gotta respect. I'm a huge. I actually had uh, the curator for the Charles Schultz Museum on. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it was yeah. beginning of the year, and uh, I don't know if I've showed you, but it's uh, oh, nice. Woodstock. I've also yeah. got Charlie on that side on my hand. Oh, wow. So, yeah, okay. I'm, a, I'm a huge Charles Schultz fan. So I, I can't wait to get back out to the West Coast because that's like the first stop I want to make. I want to do that one, and I want to do the um, 
the Walt Disney Museum, the family yeah, museum. The Disney Museum is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, and then when you come down here, you could be, go to the Motion Picture Museum here, which yeah. is which is uh, it's not even a year old yet. I think in September it's going to be a year. But but yeah, I was an advisor on the on the Motion Picture Museum here to to kind of help them out with their animation stuff and all. You know, and uh, and, and yeah, the Disney Museum is great because uh, yeah, I was I was there at the beginning of the Disney Museum, and originally I thought. Oh, it's just going to be like a you know eleven rooms of family photos, you know, but um, it's got good stuff. It's got good displays, it's, and they they're very aggressive with their shows. Like they do, they rotate like shows. Yeah. Like I think there's a I think Andrea Stasia is helping them with a show right now. Um, I think it's about one hundred one Dalmatians, you know. Yes, but uh, it's going to have some great stuff in it, you know, and uh, they got a multiplane camera. And all there, and uh, th there's a lot of a lot of good exhibits in it. So, yeah, we've uh, we've I, we've to watch that one so many times now. 101 Dalmatians. So the when we had the second kid back in July, last July, mm -hmm. um, you know, it was you've got kids, you've had kids before, so you know how it is. One person gets in the shower, one person's got the baby, and then one person comes out, and you switch round round table type of thing. And uh, so whenever she would be in the shower, I was either watching Samurai Jack and watch one episode a night. And when I finished that, we pretty much watched because at that point he was not sitting up by himself, but he was becoming more aware of his surroundings. So we started watching anything on Disney. So 101 Dalmatians was playing religiously. And my, 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 my top one has always been the Jungle Book. But 101 Dalmatians specifically is starting to grow on me so much because of the influence from UPA. When I had Linda Semensky on a few weeks ago, we actually talked about 101 Dalmatians, UPA quite extensively in the New York illustrators. Um, so that those two in particular, man, it's just like when you see that one, and then when I hear somebody talk about it, when I had Floyd on a few months back, and he was talking about it, just getting to hear so much about that, it's starting to become like it's starting to encroach that number. It, it will never surpass Jungle Book, but it's starting to encroach and get a lot closer and close that gap. Um, so it was so interesting about them and it's like you know i'm not part of the disney company anymore so i can say what i want but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but i thought what i thought was funny was, was that walt disney never liked upa stuff that's crazy and, too he wanted he wanted like more pinocchio you know he yes. wanted the he liked the 40s style and so so it kind of passed him by and 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 ken anderson was one of the designers who did a lot of work on on uh, dalmatians mm -hmm. and, and and walt just rode him He's just like, I don't like this. This isn't working out. I, uh, is this, I don't know. What's so good about this? You know, and all this stuff. Anyway, uh, um, uh, he actually he actually drove Ken to a Ken had a heart attack <laughs> and he survived. He's, he's OK. But, um, but but anyway, after the movie comes out and not only is it a financial hit, it's a it's a critical hit. And and you know uh, like the like snootier like newspapers like the you know, like the New Yorker the New York Times and stuff are saying this is a bold new design direction for Disney to go in and it's and it's it's modern and it's exciting you know and it said that Walt went and visited Ken in the ICU you know <laughs> you know he goes you know Ken maybe you're right <laughs> you want a cigarette that's what. <laughs> But he's like, thanks, Walt. You know, I mean, thank God, like Ken recovered and lived another thirty-five years, and you know, you know, and he was they were all happy. But uh, he actually outlived Walt, you know. So, but uh, but you know, that, again, there's always that kind of creative thing differences about you know, you know what you know, my taste to your taste to whatever, you know. So.
Yeah, it's it's such a beautiful movie. Like I said, it's grown on me so much. I mean, I, like I said, we probably watched it at least once a week for the last 10 months and I'm not getting tired of it. So there's something there. And this is yeah. the last question, Tom. Yeah. Uh, you're an author, you're an uh, animation historian as well as a historian as well. So yeah. what we like to do is the Mount Rushmore is the one I always bring in. I also do book recommendations. So I know mm -hmm. we talked some books last time you were here, especially your cookbook. Uh, mm -hmm. which is quite delightful ladies and gentlemen make sure you click on the links below or you follow tom on uh social media and you can get all of his books um that one right there uh this so this one was actually inspired by you when we talked when we talked about your books i had to throw this in there so ever since your episode i've been asking anybody that's on is there two books as far as animation goes you think every fan of animation or anybody that's working in the industry should have on their shelves mm-hmm or me yeah oh um oh see well let's see this uh, i mean there are, there are there's so many good books you know and, and uh you know anything i've written first of all and uh, <laughs> i think um no, there's, a, there's a couple of good ones um i always liked i always liked there's a book uh, um by a fellow named jack kinney mm -hmm. and, and 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 it was walt disney and other assorted characters and it's out of print right now but i think you can get it on amazon Okay. And and Kenny was was a story artist director, who did a lot of uh, 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 was a top guy at Disney. So I think he did a lot of the sport goofies. He did hockey homicide yes. and things like that. And, and 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 but he was like one of the first people to to um, have the courage to show Walt Disney in a less than flattering like his cranky face. Mm -hmm. You know, like, like 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 he would come in in a bad mood with a cigarette and he'd be tapping the you know you know the the uh, you know, like he'd be tapping the, the the armchair, you know, like okay, what am I what am I looking at, you know, and 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 he would catch him in all his moods, and it was nice to see, you know, because the guy's a real guy, you know. I mean, I I, I run into this a lot of times sometimes with 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 uh, Disney historians that there's always the Saint Walt crowd, where like Walt Disney yeah. is God on earth and like he never he walked on air, you know, and I mean I I, I knew Mark Davis and Frank Thomas and Art Babbitt and the people who knew him. And he was a normal guy, you know, I mean, he smoked, you know, he liked the he liked the cocktail after work, he passed wind at both ends, you know, he's a normal person, you know, he's not, a, he's not a, an angel, you know, and, and, and so when I heard things that sounded like a normal guy, you know, I found that in, I found that very interesting, you know, just, just to see the real person. You know, uh, uh, because it doesn't always come out because, you know, the, the studio likes to make uh, heroes and legends and, and yeah. uh, they're perfect. Like, I mean, actually, it's like I remember when Floyd was uh, a consultant on Saving Mr. Banks, mm -hmm. the movie where Tom Hanks plays Walt Disney. Yeah. You know, and, 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 uh, and, and I, we were joking. I said, are, you, are they going to show him smoking? You know, he was a chain smoker. I mean, yeah. he, he never saw it on camera. That's because he was very specific that you would never see him with a cigarette in his face. You know, just like John Kennedy liked to smoke cigars, but you never saw him with one in his face. You know, yeah. that was very deliberate, you know. But uh, the old guys would say you could tell Walt Disney was coming because you could hear smokers cough down the hall. You'd hear like, ugh, ugh, ugh. You know, oh, Walt's coming. <laughs> You know, and it's not to say he's a bad person or a good person. He's just a, a person, yes. you know, like he's a real person and, and that a real person could could create such wonderful things, you know, and, and create 
so much memories and things for people, you know, that, that even decades after his death, people are still talking about his contributions. That's a, that's a great thing. It really is, man. And what was the other one? So you said the Jack Kenny one, that one actually came up a couple talks ago as well. So, oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. That's a great. One. Yeah. Oh, oh, you want another one too? Um, yeah. We'll give you two recommendations and then we'll get to Tom's book that he wrote recommendation. Which one are you going to recommend this time? But what's the first one from somebody else? Yeah. Let's check it. And, and then, um, oh, sure. Um, well, well Seamus Culhane's, uh, uh, I think, what's his name? I think it was like Walt, Walt Disney and other. No, the first was Walt Disney and other assorted characters. Um, Seamus's memoirs was very good too, mm -hmm. you know, because the thing with Seamus was that he went through, um, uh, which uh, you know, he started in the silent period. I think he was like he was like a, a runner or something at the Bray Studio, and then he started at Fleischer's on on uh, when Fleischer's went to sound. So he mm -hmm. was on all the Betty Boops and all the other stuff, and then he went over to Disney and was there for Snow White, Pinocchio, and all. And he also did some of the earliest TV commercials. So he went through a lot of uh, he, he went through a lot of stuff. He, he, you know, I'm, I'm, boy, I'm having a brain. See, this is the thing about when you're in your sixties. Suddenly, like all these things, like. I don't remember the name of that one, but um, but but he has some great stuff. Yeah, his his book from script to screen is very good as a how-to book as well. You know, beautiful. And then what's uh, Tom's book that he wrote's recommendation? Because you gave us a recommendation for the cookbook last week. Yeah. Which one are you recommending this time? All right. Well, uh, well, my computer history one is good. Um, I which I did this. My first one was called Drawing a Line. Drawing a line. Uh, yeah, and and it's actually believe it or not a labor history <laughs> about animation, but yeah. it's just about the relationship between artists and employers, and you know, and it originally started, the it originally started with, uh, I knew like in 1941 there was a very big strike at the Disney Studios. Mm -hmm. It was the all the artists strike, and 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 they and the artists chose up sides. You're either for Walt or you're for the union, you know, and. Um, and a lot of artists, even in their old age, were still mad at each other. Yeah. Depending on whose side they took, you know, that that May, you know, of 1941. And you know, we don't it, it's not as well documented today because um the strike was settled in, uh, around around September. And then a few weeks later, Pearl Harbor happened. Mm. So that, that kind of like knocked everything, you know, you, you know, upended the game board and to start all over again. Yeah. But when I talked to the artists who lived through it, it was the most important thing that ever happened to them. You know, it, you know, and, and and I learned all this different stuff about about uh, the backstage of of Hollywood sort of industry and, you know, how different things would happen, you know. So like um, like Walt Kelly, who created the character Pogo. He was a Disney animator and all, uh, but he left because of the strike and he decided, okay, I'm going to go into cartoons, you know, and, uh, and the guy who created Dennis the Menace uh, um, was originally a Disney artist and, and he left because, because of the strike. Uh, um, and, you know, there was a strike at the Fleischer studios in 1937 and there was an artist there working named, named uh, Jacob Kupperberg. And 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 uh, uh, which and when the strike happened, he said, "Well, you know, I don't really like doing animation. I want to go back to my first. What I really want to do is I, I want to do comic books." Mm -hmm. So he left and changed his name to Jack Kirby. Wow, so, you know that's where. Yeah, so I mean, you're learning these little things. Like, wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> that's insane. That's worth the price of admission right there. That story right there. 
Yeah, yeah, you know, he, you know, and, and you know, the mafia got involved, and this, you know, well, and, and anything, anything labor in the '30s and stuff, you're going to have gangsters involved and things like that, you know, and uh, you know, and then the the anti-communist witch hunts and stuff, you know, where they're going after people, and you know that 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 was a thing also, you know, so all these all these uh, things like like right now there's 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 a there's a columnist that does a lot of uh, political stuff named Naomi Klein. And 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 her uncles was um, Izzy Klein and Phil Klein, who were Disney animators who were very involved in the in the uh, strike and got blacklisted during the uh, during the McCarthy period and stuff. So she has this lineage of of political artists <laughs> going back. But it's just it's very it's very interesting to read all this. This you know when I first turned in the manuscript, uh, the publisher actually called me and said, "Did all this really happen?" <laughs> Yeah, it did. <laughs> oh shit! Yeah. Uh, have they done a documentary on, on this yet? On this era? Uh, uh, not really. There's a little bit. I I mean, I'm in. Uh, you know, I I'm in the the uh, the American Masters Walt Disney series, and mm -hmm. uh, uh, you, you know the the one on PBS. Uh, American Masters Walt Disney, and I uh, think part uh, and uh, they talked to me a lot about the strike. And uh, you know, I, I talked to them a great deal about it, and so we got some of it in there and everything, as well as the McCarthy stuff, you know. But um, have you tried pitching a documentary for this? Yeah, uh, not myself. You know, I'm just like uh, you know, other people could do it. But... Nah, man, it's got to come from you. You wrote the book, bro. You got the manuscript right there. That, that'd be a that'd be a really cool documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, the problem the problem is. Uh, you know, it, it always breaks down to right who has the rights to things, you know, and properties, and and a lot of times the studios don't like to talk about bad things that happen, you know, yeah. you know, with their studio, you know, it's like they only want to talk about good things, and you know, and, and that's okay because I'm, you know, like I didn't say Walt Disney's a bad person. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you know he was doing what he thought was right, yeah. and the and the strikers were doing what they thought was right, you know, and it just didn't, you know, and and they didn't mix together, so. But I mean, like Art Babbitt, um, the, one of the strike leaders, he created Goofy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, he was like one of the top guys, you know. And one of the other top guys, uh, Bill Melendez, uh, uh, created Brown. Charlie, Brown, Charlie Brown Christmas. Yeah, yeah you, know, you know. And uh, did, did we talk about Bill? I don't, I'm not sure if we did. So, so, so. Uh, Bill Melendez? No, we, uh, I don't think we talked about him. But uh, like I said, I'm a big Peanuts fan. We might have yeah. mentioned him like in through our many talks that weren't recorded and stuff like yeah. that. So we might have talked about it then. But what were you going to say about Bill Melendez? Well, well, the great thing about Bill was that was that um, Bill's funny because his um, his father was an officer in the Mexican army mm -hmm. and sent him to Los Angeles to be to go to college in the 30s and he decided to stay and bill's real name is like jose Guatemoc. Mm -hmm. you know like he has like five six seven names you know yeah. you know the whole thing and it's funny because at one point he was an animator at at, at warner brothers on looney tunes like after the strike he went to he went to warner brothers um and 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 the studio sent out a memo saying uh, uh, uh they circulated a memo saying no more nicknames you have to put your formal name in credits so so chuck jones became charles m jones and wow. frizz frailing became isadora frailing and bill just to be a wise guy would use two more of his names <laughs> so, so whenever you look at the credits and you see gw 
Jay, uh, no, say, say G Melendez, J Melendez, JC Melendez, GWC Melendez. It's like, it's all him. <laughs> it's just Bill. He's just being a wise guy just to do it. <laughs> it, it so I, I, I noticed that because I'm reading, uh, I'm rereading Chuckamuck because there's certain things that I, I remember from talking about last year, two years ago, whenever I read it, but I was misremembering and I kept hearing other people say stuff about uh, specific points that Chuck talked about in Chuckamuck. So I'm, I'm going back and highlighting the stuff and then finding out that some of the shit I listened to both on YouTube and both on other podcasts, they were talking out of their ass, at least coming from the guy that was there, you know, his side of the story. Right. So, um, but uh, I was wondering why, because on some of the cards you'll see, because they got the pictures in the book, they were saying Charles M. Jones. I was like, man, did he just want to be official or why didn't he go from Chuck? So it started out as Chuck. And then after the strike, it went back to Charles M. Jones. Yeah. 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 It's just the studio just being, being, being a wise, uh, being a hard ass about the stuff. Did they ever go back to letting them put in Chuck Jones for his freeling and all that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, it probably changed with the regime of producers and, mm. you know, you know who, whoever was running things and also that stuff like that happens all the time. You know, it depends on what, what particular, you know, uh, potentate you have over you for a while. So, <laughs> and they move on and, and we keep drawing cartoons. So beautiful, man. The wheels keep yeah. on moving. Yeah, this, one of the stories Chuck loves to tell, because um, everybody used to make jokes about Jack Warner, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Warner Brothers and everything. That, that he's just there's something about him everybody loved to make fun of. You know, uh, yeah. Oscar Levant was the one who said, uh, "One day, an empty taxi pulled up and Jack Warner got out." You know, so, <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's the kind of level. But Chuck loved to tell the story about. Um, he from the time that he started working for Leon Schlesinger, Schlesinger kept the, his company uh, separate from the main one of the studio, like, like it was Leon Schlesinger Productions, and Leon. Um, uh, uh, basically helped the Warner Brothers get their funding for the jazz singer, which made them like a giant hit. And, and the Warners were like, what do you want in return? And he says, I want exclusive for shorts. So the short you know, division was Leon Schlesinger. And Schlesinger kept the Warner execs away from his company and everything, mm -hmm. so, so, which is good because that's one of the reasons why Warner Brothers' style of humor could be so individual was that nobody was telling them what to do. Like Chuck said, we, we were just doing what we thought was funny. You know, like that. And anyway, when Leon retired in, in 1943 and Eddie Seltzer took over, uh, Chuck said it's the first time he actually met the Warner Brothers because he had never actually walked in the room and, and met the real Warner Brothers. And so, so when this changeover happened, when Warners took direct control of the shorts unit, because Leon retired, uh, they had a meeting in, in, in Jack Warner's office. And, and Chuck said, Jack uh, Warner went right up to him and, uh, him and Frizz and said, I don't know what the fuck you guys do, but we make Mickey Mouse, right? Mickey Mouse, right? And Chuck was like stunned, you know, and Frizz went, Frizz went, yes, we do. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know, and then they walked out of the room and Chuck was like, what? And Frizz is going, he's happy. We're happy. <laughs> so what? <laughs> in, in, the, in the book, I think he, uh, I think Chuck refers to him as Air Warner. So H-E-R-R -R for the German terminology there. Uh, so yeah it was uh so 
I'll probably have to cut it out, but I wanted to ask you a question uh, right after we wrap up. But uh, where can people go on? This is this one's been real fun, man. Like I said, Shrek was such a fun movie as a kid. It's even more fun now because I'm getting all the humor that went right over my yeah. head at such a little age, man. Uh, so like yeah. I said, I appreciate the hell out of this movie and I appreciate being able to watch it with my kid. Uh, but where can the folks go and find you? If they want to buy the book you just held up or the cookbook or any other book oh. that you've written, man, where can oh, they go yeah. to find it? Oh, I'm on Amazon. You know, I have my own page on Amazon. You can do that. You know, and that has all my books on there. So beautiful. Yeah. And all those links will be in there in the description of this video, yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm actually working on a new one now and everything. So I'm, I'm working on one about animation in the 1990s and just saying the the the, the renaissance or like when everything kind of changed, you know. And, do you got uh, a release date yet? Uh, not yet. I was supposed to turn it in on Monday, <laughs> but I said, well, I need a little more time. <laughs> so I would say maybe like about a year and a half from now. So maybe, maybe by the end of, of, uh, of 23. All right, man. Well, that'd be you know, cool. You know, yeah. Yeah. Books are like that, you know, and, and schedule wise, they, you got to schedule them like a year or so in advance. So yeah, I got to imagine, man. So like I said, this one was pretty close to the other one. So maybe next next year when your book's about to release, we'll bring it back on right after so I can read it and then we can talk about it, man. It'd be really, really fun because um, does it go, I know you can't give too many details, but is it just Disney or? No, no, actually, actually, I mean, that's what I was saying. Like, you know, I, while I was talking to you, I was fielding the the, the director of yeah, the, 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 director of the Simpsons, you know, to talk about his stuff. And uh, yeah, because, yeah, I mean, I mean, Disney's like, they've got their thing, you know, but, but you pick a year like 1989. Okay, right. So 1989, Little Mermaid comes out. Uh, well, Hulu Frame Roger Rabbit was already out. Little Mermaid comes out and the Simpsons go to be a regular series. Yes. Liquid Television, Eon Flux, you know, the next year, Ren and Stimpy. I mean, all that stuff is all happening like around 1989, 1990, like that, you know. Uh, uh, then uh, 1991, Terminator 2, you know, you know, breakthrough computer graphics. You know, 89 is also The Abyss, another Cameron film with great computer graphics, you know. So all this, um, there's so much happening. In, in around that time period where before that time period uh, like there was like 25 years there was no animation at night mm -hmm. you know you uh, uh animation was just saturday morning it was what they called the saturday morning ghetto you know which is just the four hours uh between eight and twelve mm -hmm. you know every saturday morning um and and uh, and the idea of doing a show at night was crazy even though they did them in the 60s like in the you know like the Jetsons and the flintstones prime used time. to run yeah prime time but then it fell into the saturday morning thing uh in the 70s and and as so you know when they were pitching to james l brooks and barry diller we got to do the simpsons at, as a nighttime show they're like mm -hmm. what there's no such thing you know and now it's standard you know because you got mtv with like the television and now there's adult animation when uh in in the in the 80s if you said adult animation people know what you were talking about yeah. you know they thought that's that's crazy you know there was no such thing cartoons are for kids you know and the idea that you uh, you know and so it, it's like when a little uh when a little mermaid and beauty and the beast came out you would go to like a wednesday night screening at like 10 30 at night and there's a line to go into the theater and it's all adults mm -hmm. and there's no children. And you're like, wow, you know, that was a new thing. See, like in Japan 
And in Europe, adult animation and adult comics is, is not a big deal. They, they were doing it all along. I mean, there's a lot, there's a, a great tradition of Japanese manga, you know, for adults, which is fine. But, but in, in, in North America, it took a little time to re-educate the public. And I think it's, you know, it had to do with like all the stuff that we watched when we were children and now it's, and now it's older, yeah. you know, and you still like it. Uh, but also there was that re-education that, that, that adults will watch animation and, and enjoy it just as much as children will. And, and just because it's animation doesn't mean it's just kids. Mm -hmm. So you have something like Archer or, you know, I don't know what Bob's Burgers or, um, uh, you know, Bojack Horseman, you know, they're all very sort of adult themes, even though they're cartoons. So. Absolutely. Well, I'm really looking forward to it. And I hope you delve pretty deep into the Cartoon Network side, because that's probably my favorite era of animation. Um, well, like, like I said, Tom, and, and all those links will be in the bottom. So you can click and go follow Tom and all the social media pages, as well as check out his Amazon pages. Check out the descriptions. All you got to do is point, click and go and buy a book. Um, well, like I said, Tom, and this has been real, real fun. He's been Tom. I've been Julian. This has been a What's My Head podcast. And it's been another piece of your childhood. Good night. My guest next week is resident cartoon junkie and the host of the Animation Destination podcast, Brandon Jones. Enjoy the teaser. Yeah, we, my we, God, is it beautiful. It's so good. That episode 10 is one of the best episodes of anything I think I've ever watched. Mm -hmm. um, uh, this, the Slave of the Scorpion is yeah. one of the best episodes of anything because like, I'm loving that show all the way through. I'm like, this is a great show. I'm loving it. These great little episodic things. And then suddenly from out of the water plot just enters and yeah. just like they throw all the plot at you they've expanded this world it's not just like a prehistoric world it's like actually it's this isolated prehistory kind of world and now you've got this other stuff over here where you have these these like ancient arab muslim cultures and there's a, a giant demon uh, lord who's gonna who's trying to enslave them and it's like oh this is gonna be amazing and yeah. then they they cut all that off before season two and i'm just flipping tables can't wait for it to happen oh super stoked about it i cannot wait for season two oh. so there was i'm glad you